welcome to this week's episode of the Compass Equip podcast. Here at Compass Bible Church, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ by reaching people for Christ, teaching people to be like Christ, and training people to serve Christ. And everything we do here at Compass, including this podcast, is to fulfill that mission. Well, welcome back, Compass, as we look at this Sunday's sermon, Jesus is Greater Than the Storm. And we find that in Matthew 8. Verses 23 through 27, and I'll read that text for you right now. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? The preaching point derived from the main text is this, that Jesus calls you to exercise faith in his supreme authority, even in the most fearful circumstances. We have three points that accentuate that, that help us apply the preaching point from the main text. And the point number one is this. We need to, as we start from the end of the sermon in verse 27, We need to consider the supremacy of Christ. When we look at verse 27, it says the men marveled at the ability and the authority and the supremacy of Christ to calm the wind and the sea with just one rebuke, just one command. And the disciples had to ask themselves, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Consider the supremacy of Christ and its implication in your life. We believe in the supremacy of Christ over sin. We must believe in the supremacy of Christ over creation and over our sanctification and over all of the areas of our life. And as we consider the supremacy of Christ over every aspect of our life, we must then take steps of faith and obedience in our life, recognizing that we have a God of supremacy. Uh, We have Christ who is over all things preeminent and exalted above all things. And the authority that he shows in the Gospel of Matthew is just a glimpse and a proof of who he is. And is a big reason why you look in verse 7, 27, and the disciples are just astonished at seeing the glimpses of who Jesus really is. And I think as we unfold that whole picture as we look at the Gospels and we look at the New Testament. For us, we have a a fuller picture because, as Scripture says, we have this prophetic word more fully uh, assured to us. Why? Because we have the Bible that shows us all the things that both Christ uh, said that he wanted recorded in Scripture, and we have all that he did that is recorded in Scripture that is sufficient testimony and witness for us to understand the supremacy of Christ, and that should give us great confidence to Uh, make sure that faith in Christ is the motivation for every decision that we make. Point number two, we need to see our lack of faith as a serious problem. I mean, even as I address in both services, uh, the lack of faith, right, this unbelief, it's the, the, uh, as God even talked to Israel and was pronouncing judgment on Israel, we see that he even condemns them for an unbelief that you wouldn't believe me. 
And it's the same problem that we have as as uh, unbelievers. And unfortunately, I hope and I trust that this isn't consistent even in a believer's life, but something we must consider is our problem, unbelief. When we say lack of faith, what we're really saying is unbelief. And it's that very unbelief that that Christ had to conquer and Christ had to produce faith in you that you would respond to the gospel. And so unbelief or a lack of faith is such a serious problem because it is that thing that separates us from the gift of grace by it is by grace through faith that you have been saved so it's through faith and if we lack faith that unbelief is the very thing that would cause those who are going to perish uh, eternal destruction because of unbelief and so even in the Christian's life you know we're sealed by the Holy Spirit and that same Holy Spirit that produced faith in the believer at salvation that has sealed the Christian should also embolden us in our faith. And when we fall short of belief and trust in the supremacy of Christ, we should see it as a serious problem in our life. We should see it as a big sanctification block that we need to respond by turning from that and trusting in the supremacy and the sovereignty of Christ in our lives. There's a couple of questions that, that coincide with, with this point. Uh, question number three, right? That you're going to read Hebrews eleven five through six, Romans fourteen twenty three, and Hebrews eleven one through three. And the question is: Faith in Christ is not only that which saves you, but it's that which also sustains you in life. With that in mind, why is lacking confidence in Christ in your day to day life incompatible with a genuine profession of faith in Christ? I mean, just logically tease that out and write down why. What are the ways in which living uh, your day-to-day life without trusting in Christ, well, how is it incompatible with the profession of faith that you made in Christ as supreme over your sin and supreme over death and that which will bring you in confidence to the throne of God? And then that sub-question there, sub-question 3A is, how does that reminder help you trust more in the grace of Christ to grow faith in Him, to grow your faith in Him? And I, I trust that those are going to be really good applicational questions. And I want you to write it down considering how you're going to apply that. How is this reminder going to help you? In what ways does this reminder help you trust in the grace, the unmerited favor of Christ to grow your trust in him in every circumstance? Point number three is we need to courageously follow Christ. But there is no other way to follow Christ but to do it courageously. Uh, even as we look at that text, uh, the main text, particularly there in verse uh, 26, where it says that Jesus looked at the disciples and said, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? As you look at the Greek word afraid, and you look up what it means uh, in other ways to translate that, and we actually see that depending on what translation of the Bible you use, that word is not just why are you passively sitting back and afraid. The, the term means cowardly. Like why are you fearful? Like much, uh, much different than a passive fear. Uh, this word connotes this idea of saying that you're an act. You're actively cowarding in the face of life, not trusting in the supremacy. Of Christ, And so for us, we must recognize that there is no other way to follow Christ faithfully than to do so with courage. And it's the courage that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. But it is a courage we also 
partake in from the Holy Spirit and live out in our lives as Christians. And I hope that even that, that witness and the testimony from Fox's Book of Martyrs of Jerome Russell, this teenage boy who you know, went to the stake to be burned because he not only trusted in the gospel, but he defended the gospel uh, articulately is what uh, the book says uh, in the face of his accusers. And, and even in the midst of being put into this fire, being walked over to the stake, he encourages his other brother that he sees, not a, not a blood brother, not biological brother, but, but another young man who was going to see the same fate. And he looked over and he encouraged him with great courage. He encouraged his brother to fear not that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. I mean, what is that statement? Obviously, he's quoting scripture, but even that statement is a trust in the supremacy of Christ over all things. He understood the need to not lack faith as he looks over at this brother who is lacking in his faith, and he sees it, and he says, don't fear. Courageously follow Christ, who has already paved this path in front of us, and go follow him, and we will see him soon. What a wonderful picture of exactly what Jesus is is asking us to do, and we see it clearly in our main text in Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Uh, you're going to be looking even at question 2A in your application questions of sharing an experience where you or someone you know trusted in the power and authority of Christ, and that trust engendered great confidence to follow through faithfully in whatever situation that the person found themselves in. And I want to encourage you, ask if you don't have uh, an experience where you uh, trusted in Christ's power and authority, and it gave you this great confidence and faith to follow him, to follow him. Uh, regardless of the situation, ask other people, ask faithful followers before you jump into your life group and, and, and jot that down and share it. Uh, because these uh, examples of people being courageous in their faith are, uh, are jewels in the Christian life where we can point and look at people who, in spite of terrible circumstances, looked and understood the treasure of confidence in the supremacy of Christ. I mean, that's the whole rationale of chapter 11 in the, in the book of Hebrews. I mean, look at these people. Look at how they trusted in Christ, whether it was Abraham and Sarah and Moses and Rahab and all these different people, uh, even if, as we thought about uh, Azariah and Mishael and, and Hananiah. And, you know, we, we go through and, and even the writer of Hebrews, like it, it would take me forever if I were to write all these people, but consider all these people and think about their faith. And then right after that, the, the writer of Hebrews says, and since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin that so easily entangles us and run the race that is set before us. And that's exactly what Hebrews 11 is all about, about using these testimonies and stories of people who trusted in the supremacy of Christ. And because of that, they walked boldly in faith. And so I, I trust that that's going to be such a wonderful question for you guys, or at least a Wonderful uh, question there for you guys to be looking at and thinking through and sharing with one another the testimony of believers that you know uh, who have walked faithfully in spite of difficult circumstances. We have uh, a question that was submitted uh, in our Q&A segment of our podcast, and, and here is the question. What are some of the evidences or fruit of someone's life that is making the mistake of believing that God is just like us? If you remember in the sermon, uh, I was quoting Psalm 50, verse 21, that as, as God was pronouncing judgment on Israel, one of the big concerns that God has, he says, you 
thought I was like you. That's the that was the problem uh, of uh, Israel at that point. That you thought I was like you. You thought that I made judgments like you. You thought that I think like you. That I act like you. But I am not like you. And so the question here is, you know, what are some of the fruits and evidences in in our lives or in the lives of people around us that are making that mistake of believing that God is just like them? Uh, well, I think uh, one of the big ones that that we can find is the justifying of our own sin. We justify our sin because, you know, to us it's not a big deal. And if if it's not a big deal to us, then it shouldn't be a big deal to God, right? Because we're trying to conform God, in, in our, at least in the way that we think about God, into what we want God to be. I want him to uh, measure out justice, and I want him to measure out forgiveness in the way that I would do it, in my you know, subjective uh, manner that I would do these things. I believe that God would do that thing because I would do that thing. Uh, so that's a big one, right? Justifying our sin, uh, minimizing God's commands, right? Because if I'm minimizing God's commands and I'm making God like me, I would want to make I, I, what I would do if I'm making this mistake is saying, well, God doesn't really care about that. We see that in the sexual revolution right now. People are trying to, as they have a, which is the third problem, right? Having a low view of God and having a high view of man, they're trying to put in uh, in writing and in stone, even in our culture, that we're going to minimize God's commands because really what we need to understand is God is like us, right? Whatever we approve, we, we trust that God's going to approve that. And, and God approves same-sex marriage and, pe- and in the world we live in. That's what people think about God, right? And it's part of justifying their sin, but it's a big part of that is minimizing God's command. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And we're going to say, no, love is love, okay? So then we're redefining what love is. We're redefining uh, marriage as our culture sees it. And all this is really the ma- major point here is we just have a low view of God and we have a high view of man. And so one of the biggest mistakes of believing that God is like us is the fact that we have a low view of God, and we have a high view of man. And so we put man's commands and, and man's desires above God's, and, and in that we then make uh, ourselves and set ourselves up on the throne of God. And with that just comes uh, just a, a plethora of fruits and evidence of thinking that God is like uh, so we see that in the world we live in uh, when it comes to the sexual revolution, when it comes to the way that we view obedience to God and, and the holiness and justice of God. Uh, and all of that is up and against uh, the proper way to think about God, right? I mean, can you imagine if somebody does have same-sex attraction, right? I mean, the proper response is this isn't pleasing to God. I'm going to turn from that and, and pray that God would would deliver me from that. And that's evidence of my need to turn to God even if I'm not a Christian. And even as a Christian, we're struggling with that. We say, God, sanctify my mind, sanctify my heart. And I will take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and that he would uh he would deliver me from those temptations, and I would turn away from those things. Uh, you know, re- regardless, you see, that's the difference, right? What we're going to do is say, no, 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 no. My feelings are, are valid and how I ought to make decisions. My passions, my desires, all those things take front and center stage, which is really the culture that we live in. Who are, who are you or who is God to tell me what I ought to do? And we're going to say, like like we read in, in our text, Psalm 47, he's king of all the earth. He's the monarch. He is the sovereign. Of course, he tells us what we ought to do. And so, yeah, I think fruit of that is people just say, who is God to tell me what to do? Well, that means you have a low view of God, and we need to have a high view of God. That's what Scripture says. There is no one like him. And as he even states there in Psalm 50, 21, 
you thought I was like you, let it never be said of us that God would look down at you and me and think in, in, in our mind that we would think that God was anything like us. Uh, that's actually the, the miracle of the gospel is that God became man. And that's the, that's the extraordinary thing there, right? It wouldn't be extraordinary if God was like us, because if God was like us and he took on human flesh, we'd say that's just that's, that's, that's par for the course because God's like us. Why wouldn't he take on human flesh? Right. The, the, the scandal of the grace of, of the gospel is that God bec- stepped out of heaven to the right hand of the father and, and became like us in our flesh and took on our sin on the cross. Right. That's that's the why the gospel is so scandalous it's so it's so extreme because he's nothing like us but yet he became just like you and me and so that's a long answer to that but since it's the only question i thought i may be able to go a little bit longer there with that being said always if uh you submit your questions before we record the podcast which we try to record the podcast on sunday uh, afternoon and so as long as you submit your questions which you have a qr code there on the front of your worksheet if you will submit a question there We'll do our best to answer these questions for you, uh, particularly if they have to do with a sermon. Uh, and so that's the question we had today. I hope that helps you think about what it looks like uh, evidentially in, fr- in, in the fruit of the life of people and even our culture that make this mistake that God is, is merely like all of us. And he has subjective thoughts and rules, but understanding that God is objectively holy and just and uh, in, in so many ways, we recognize God is, is far from us. There is God, and then there is everything else. I hope that's helpful for you. All right, just four announcements. Number one, Easter at Compass is coming. It's a few weeks away, and just a reminder to save some times as you think about when you're going to participate in the services at Compass. Good Friday, we have two services, 4.30 and 6 p.m. Uh, for Good Fridays, we celebrate, and I, and I really think maybe the way to think about that is to, as we remember the death of Christ in the somberness of that is, which is what a Good Friday service is, we're going to sit there and we're going to uh, we're going to recollect and we're going to think on the death of Christ. And there we'll also take a communion. We'll take the Lord's Supper together as we remember the death of Christ. And then on Sunday, as we celebrate the resurrection of Christ, we're having three services, one at 830, one at 10, and another at 1130. So be considering not only which service you're going to attend, but also who you're going to bring with you as we look forward to Easter Sunday. Secondly, our Next Steps project is, is, is underway. We have raised over $170,000. Demo is starting in just a few weeks. We're submitting permits, and we're praying that they'd be expedited, that God would show favor uh, to us and our relationship with the city. They would, they would give us approval, and we can continue this building project in our church. I want you to think about that. Two building projects in two years. I mean, that's such a wonderful gift from God. So be praying as we take that East Warehouse and we uh, we take it and we transform it into the permanent kids wing at Compass Bible Church. Third announcement is National Equip Conference is coming in on June 14th through the 16th, and we're hosting it here in New Braunfels, Texas at the Civic Center, where the theme is, What is the Gospel? And there you're going to learn about apologetics, you're going to learn how to defend the gospel. Uh, you're going to learn uh, how we can talk to the world, no matter if they come from a Catholic background, an atheist background, a Mormon, a Jehovah Witness background, or maybe you're, you, you have a spouse who's not saved. How do, you, how do you go and you talk to them about the gospel? Uh, what is at stake if we don't get the gospel right? You know, all those things. We're going to answer all those questions. Like, what, what is the pr- the primacy of the gospel when it comes to us and our church. I mean, all those things 
uh, that we're going to be able to answer there with all of the church pl- Compass Church plants around the country. Uh, we're going to be joined with many churches from around our area, and we're going to get together uh, as a, as a, as the, the global, at least in some measure, right? All these local churches are coming together as the global church, and we're going to sit and we're going to learn together. We're going to fellowship together. We have kids care. All those things are taken care of. All we want you to do is register and make sure you're there with us at the National Equip Conference in June. Final announcement, our women's Bible studies meeting on February 24th. That's next Saturday, this coming up Saturday, 24th at 9 a.m. And we meet here at Compass Bible Church. I want to encourage you gals uh, to fill what we see in Titus 2 by coming together and encouraging one another uh, in your faith. Uh, it's a great opportunity for uh, those women who, who want and need discipleship to be there in a room full of women uh, and, and be looking in and asking women to help walk alongside you in your faith. And for you mature women, uh, it's an opportunity for you to see other women there who need you walking with them and for you guys to be forming relationships and building uh, each other's faith up in Christ. And so I want you to see this as just an, another opportunity to pull together and come together as a group of women uh, to see the need for you guys to encourage and exhort one another in your faith. And just as another one of those opportunities to connect and build further relationships for greater discipleship here at our church. So be looking forward uh, to that as you ladies continue in the encouraging letter of Paul to the church in Philippi. So I look forward to that. Uh, Compass, grateful for you guys. I'm looking forward to your life groups. I'm looking forward to joining you again next week. And until then, we'll see you later. Thank <laughs> you.